So one more thing that um, I'll say about these uh, poems before I, I share a number of them is that um, a number of poems are, are the monastics, you know, doing this confident exclamation filled with euphoria, but some of them are worded as if uh, somebody else is addressing the monk or nun. And the way that I'm interpreting this is that they are remembering instructions that they were given and like, oh yeah, now I understand these instructions. Or now that I followed them, now I can, I'm reaping the fruit of them or something like this. So maybe with that as a little introduction to some of these poems, I'm um, going to share screen and I'd like to share some of the different ways in which um, awakening freedom gets expressed. And I'll do this with a little bit of a different tone, less in the terms of um, our um less in a listening to poetry and more kind of like, how is awakening expressed? So I'll share screen. And um, so you can see some of these, whoops, share some of these with you. Okay, here we go. So could I get a thumbs up if from Kim or David, I can see you guys. Yep, great, thank you. Okay, so one of these ways that we hear um, this awakening getting expressed is by freedom, like we saw in the Padachara poem. And here's a poem by, um, by somebody named Sumangala. This is a monk. We might understand his name to mean the very lucky one or the most auspicious or something. And it goes like this. So freed, so freed. So thoroughly freed am I from three crooked things, my sickles, my shovels, my plows. Even if they were here, right here, I'd be done with them. Done. Do jhana, Sumangala. Do jhana, Sumangala. Sumangala, stay heedful. So just like in the Padachara poem at the beginning that she's referring to these farmers, they reap the benefits of their fruit. We see this person is a farmer, but now he is also freed from these work, from sickles and shovels and plows and the, the toil of uh, farming. And this feeling like, okay, I'm done. Maybe he's done with the sense of being burdened by them, or maybe he's a monastic now and he doesn't do farm work. And then these last three lines do jhana sumangala. Um, jhana is a type of meditative experience, of deep concentration. So perhaps he's remembering the instructions that were given to him to do this uh, meditation practice, to this particular concentration practice. The um, verb in, um, in Pali could also be interpreted just to meditate. And then, then this is a particular type of meditation and also to stay heedful. So he has this exclamation as well as this memory, but he's expressing it by using this word free, to be free. Another way that uh, freedom gets expressed is by finding peace. So here's another monk. This is Yazadatta, who is saying, one with contented mind who listens to the victor's instruction, 
having wiped out all defilements, having experienced the unshakable, having arrived at ultimate peace, is quenched without defilements. So this idea of wiping out the defilements, those of you who are familiar with this, uh, a little bit of uh, Pali or the teachings, this is the asavas, we could also sometimes call the taints, that is the um, sensual desire or becoming or ignorance. So uh, no longer having this not only sensual desire, but the sense of having a sense, uh, I'm sorry, sense of having a self of like becoming. And the sense of stability that is unshakable and peaceful. And then this word here is, is quenched without defilements. Quenched is parinabhuta, which is re, um, parinibbana is that word. So relating to awakening, the similar one that we know that the Buddha experience. Sometimes we think parinibbana has to do with one's final awakening, that is when they die, but it also can be used um, just in the sense of awakening, nibbana. So finding peace, wiping out defilements, uh, having some clear stability is another way in which awakening is experienced. One more way is to shatter the mass of darkness. Puna is a nun, her name means full. So it's a little play on words, her, the name, her name, and the way that the poem goes. Puna, be filled with the Dharma, like the moon on the 15th day. When your wisdom is full, shatter the mass of darkness. So the sense of fullness, be filled with the Dharma, be Like the moon, when it's a full moon, the 15th day is the full moon. So like a full moon, often we see that being an expression of uh, awakening. And this idea to shatter the mass of darkness, mass of darkness, we could understand to be delusion and ignorance. So kind of the opposite of what we saw with Padachara, where she goes from light into dark, here is to go from dark into light. Again, that kind of play of um, a different... Um, perceptual experience, just the shift in the perceptual experience. But another way in which we might understand massive darkness is this freedom from the societal societal uh, beliefs or oppression or some of the darkness of this idea that women can't become awakened. Instead, she is shattering these any of these. Um, expectations people might have and she herself is becoming awakened here just like the full moon so another way is fulfilling the buddha's instructions this is um done by a nun her name is sama four or five times i left my dwelling I'd failed to find peace of heart or any control over my mind. Now it is the eighth night since craving was eradicated. Though subject to so many painful things, I have, through my love of diligence, reached the ending of craving and fulfilled the Buddha's instructions. 
So we see this expression to fulfill the Buddha's instructions, to do the Buddha's teachings. There's a number of ways in which um, awakening gets uh, expressed, but also this idea of craving was eradicated, like this ending of no longer like craving becoming, for example, which is uh, one of the taints, one of the asafas, one of the defilements. And then maybe the last one that I'll share about how awakening gets expressed is about attaining the three knowledges, which is quite remarkable. Those of you who are familiar with some of the Buddhist teachings know that the Buddha himself, he described his awakening as acquiring three knowledges. So here is somebody who's saying that they have the same awakening as the Buddha. They have the same experience. This is quite remarkable. This is Megya, who is a monk. There's also a number of nuns who say this. I'll say a little bit about Megya. He um, was the attendant for the Buddha before um, Ananda. He counseled me, the great hero, the one who has gone beyond all things. When I heard his teaching, I stayed close by him, mindful. I've attained the three knowledges and fulfilled the Buddha's instructions. So the three knowledges, the third one is the one that uh, is really required for awakening, and that is the destruction of the taints, that the eradication of defilements that we saw in the earlier poem. The first uh, knowledge is to see one's past lives, and the second knowledge is the, to see the arising and passing of beings into uh, different rebirths according to their actions. So these are some of the different ways in which the poems, they're all pointing towards awakening, but gets expressed in different ways. So with that, I'll end it and I'll turn it over to David. Yeah, thank you, Diana. It's funny how um, we, we maybe, we almost didn't have time, we thought, for Ron's question. And this was like an extended answer to Ron's question. So just how things work out sometimes. Um, in, in sort of suggesting many ways that these this poetry from, from these texts can be held, we've, we've, this morning with Ying, you know, we just without sharing screen and, and seeing seeing the text and sort of the visual aspect, we had this introduction, lovely introduction to the poems and um, some later poetry. And then Diana has sort of shared screen and we've also done some um, uh, what uh, rumin- shared ruminations in the breakout rooms to sort of, you know, hold the poetry in community, which is part of our study and practice uh, format. And now, We'd like to do some do a little meditation period with with some lines of poetry dropped in, and I've selected um, two stanzas from two quite different quite different poems, but that seem to me sort of a, a question and an answer. And I'll drop one in sort of early in the meditation, and then at some point later on, we'll probably sit for just about ten minutes now. So sort of a quicker meditation, but just to experiment and explore what it's like to, to sit with a little of this poetry dropped in. So I trust everyone here uh, is an experienced practitioner, uh, certainly has, has a practice that they 
um, that they meditate with. So let's, let's just enter into uh, a meditative place. Maybe bring some attention as we, as we sit to um, our inner, the inner experience that we become aware of as we bring the eyes down. So rebalancing our attention to the visual sphere, the visual realm, to some attention to the inner life. Bringing some attention to the posture and just establishing a, a meditative balance there between attentive presence and ease. Maybe taking a breath or two um, in through the nose, out through the mouth, or a deeper breath to just bring ourselves here and engage again in a little rebalancing. Adding with a deep in-breath through the nose, some additional oxygen to the bloodstream, letting go with an out-breath through the mouth, um, touching in with a sense of ease and of settling in. And into this meditative space, you can drop these verses that I think pose a question that although framed thousands of years ago, are a question that we all resonate with in our practice. Mountains, oceans, rivers, the entire earth. The four cardinal directions, east, west, south, north. And then up into the sky and down into the earth. The three states of existence. All our experience are impermanent, troubled, unreliable. Mind, where can you go to find contentment? Mountains, oceans, rivers, earth, the four directions, the three states of existence, all are impermanent, all troubled. 
Where can you go to find happiness, mind? Here, my little hut is roofed and pleasant, sheltered from the wind. So go ahead and rain sky if you wish. My mind is serene, free, and I practice ardently. So go ahead and rain sky if you wish. This little hut here is roofed and pleasant, sheltered from the storm. So rain sky, if you wish. The mind is serene, free. I practice ardently. So go ahead and rain sky.
Thank you, David. That was uh, very sweet and beautiful. And so now today you've experienced um, several, I think four of us each shared um, a way of relating to poetry, awakening poems through reading it out loud and receiving it through sharing it, reflecting collectively as a group, and uh, reading um, different ways that um, Diana shared using a, a visual kind of receptor. And then that through meditative um, experience. So we wanted to maybe open it up um, for you to share any reflections at this point, or if you have any questions about all these different ways and that we've been engaging with the with the awakening poems. So we have a few minutes for for you uh, to share uh, share your voices. Um, and if you could use your Zoom hand, and that would be helpful. Uh, so Aditi, I see your hand up. Yeah, hi, uh, hi, Ying. Thank you. Um, not just with these poems, but some of the other ones, um, you know, I felt like I've noticed uh, in the person who's writing a poem, a kind of uh, um, like frustration with their current life, with their husband or thing. And, you know, the way I understand the Dharma is like the path is through acceptance. I know I'm being rigid here, but like I noticed a lot of like judgment about them I'm like I'm supposed to accept everything and they just like you know didn't accept and still got enlightened so that's just a thought I get sometimes yeah thank you thank you for sharing that it's very lovely and it's very real uh, for us right and we have our families and we had to do work and uh, lots of activities that uh, demands us um, for for engaging in our lives in various ways. Yeah. Um, and this is definitely something that we all work with and how we relate to them. And I think uh, one thing I'll point out is um, something that Diana and uh, others shared, that is um, a lot of our journey is to cultivate the conditions uh, to allow things to unfold. And often we can't just jerk our way <laughs> around and thinking that, you know, um, based on our own uh, compulsive uh, wanting uh, when the conditions are what they are. And then we um, practice uh, really recognizing what is needed uh, in our condition, in our environment, what is needed and trusting the unfolding of this process. And many of the poetry uh, shared in this um, collection and this uh, collections have mentioned that they've spent their whole life, <laughs> a long, long life in the conditions that many of us are in. Um, and they keep working with this when the conditions are 
ripen in various ways and maybe different unfolding will happen. Thank you for bringing that in, yes. Kim, can, I'd like to add something if I may. I, I, I was um, often, you know, when we first began meditating, it was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea my mind was so out of control. It's only when we kind of like the mind starts to settle that it really highlights how unsettled it was. We might imagine the same thing is happening when they have this experience of complete freedom, then all the ways in which they were bound up gets highlighted. They didn't even know they were bound up then, but it just becomes really apparent in contrast. And I would touch on a point in just adding a comment here to something that Deborah offered early, earlier on and that we saw in the Patachara uh, poem, which is that sometimes it's in those um, it's in the humdrum, mundane, daily life practice that we come to see the profound. And we haven't drawn too much attention to it, uh, but in the Patachara poem, it's in washing her feet that she notices this rather profound thing about the world, the way water goes downhill, gravity. And I think um, sort of there's a sense of the inevitability of the course of her practice maybe from that point. And so it's, and then the mind becomes settled and still, and then the flame can go out, the flame of attachment, the flame of craving to intersect a little bit with uh, Ron's earlier question. But so sometimes it's in that daily life, um, and I think that turns up in the poems that we actually come to see and find the course of practice. So it's not necessarily by rejecting, um, but by entering fully into, into the daily round that freedom happens. And I think I would just also say that uh, this may well be how we practice in the modern days because our, um, we are not in the same conditions you know, 2,500 years ago. And how we practice, by and large, is in this form, um, working with all of the um, ordinary activities in our lives. Like can we give ourselves over in those ordinary activities as we go along? Oh, any other reflections or questions? Okay, Randy. I would just like to say briefly that uh, thank you for introducing us to these um, very simple ideas and, um, and tell the teachers who know me that um, I find this so, this message so simple and um, refreshing compared to what I am usually immersed in, which is the great complexity of texts and generation practices in um, Mahayana um, that I also hold uh, very close. And 
So I have um, benefited greatly from your, um, your very simple and touching messages here. Thank you. Thank you, Randy, Randy for sharing this. Yeah, yeah the, all those different ways that we can touch um, the, uh, the suttas and the Pali Canon collections. So uh, I'm going to pass it on to Diana, who's going to wrap up uh, for the day. Great. Thank you, Ying. And uh, I'll just uh, throw in my appreciation for Randy's comment. That's part of the reason why uh, we wanted to do this Awakening Poems is just to highlight there's so many different ways to interact with the text, as well as there are so many different types of texts. So um, it's part of why the four of us, we just never stop kind of like discovering things, even like during the breakout group, um, we came up with this new idea, like, hey, we should do this or something. So anyway, so just uh, this, this richness and this depth that we're all appreciating. So, um, and as wrapping up, I just would like to um, encourage you to interact with these poems in a number of different ways. Maybe some of them feel really speak to the heart and maybe some of them um, are, are a little bit more analytical and you can see something, or maybe some of them are a little bit head scratching. Like, huh, what? So we'll just uh, allow for the wide range. And then um, for the next class, which is Tuesday morning, we will be looking at a longer poem. And so we're going to send it out beforehand. So you'll um, be able to ha have an opportunity to look at it and then we'll talk about it and discuss it uh, during the class. So you'll get an email from us with a longer poem and then I'll just pass it on over to David. Oh, am I supposed to do something here? I've, I'm, it's because we're out of time. <laughs> I, I think I'm just going to say thank you and end and, and it for today. Um, yeah, I think uh, enjoy reading the poem that comes to you this week. And with these various ways we've introduced today, see, see how it feels. I mean, be analytical and look for metaphor, you know, treat it as a poem, you know, that you might come across in a class. But also maybe dip a, a couplet or a stanza, you know, group of four lines or group of two lines into your meditation like we did. Or read it out loud um, to see how it feels in the in the in the air. At any rate, enjoy um, this assignment, this homework. Um, take pleasure in it uh, and uh, and enjoy. So that's that's what I'm saying. Take care. We'll see you Tuesday. Thanks for coming. We look forward to that. Thanks. Feel free to unmute. Yeah, feel free to bye unmute. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.